Hey there, Mike Stelzner coming to you with a fascinating update you might not be familiar with. Did you know that Social Media Examiner can deliver all the marketing, training, news, and trends, insights that you need into your inbox three days a week when you sign up for our newsletter and it's completely free? Simply visit socialmediaexaminer.com slash get updates and take your marketing to the next level. Welcome to the Crypto Business Podcast, helping you navigate the frontier of crypto. And now, here is your host, Michael Stelzner. Hello, hello, hello. Thank you so much for joining me for the Crypto Business Podcast, brought to you by Social Media Examiner. I'm your host, Michael Stelzner, and this is the podcast for innovative thinkers who want to know what works with Web 3.0. Today, I'll be joined by Julian Genis 2, and we're going to explore using NFTs for memberships and what it means for the future of business in a web 3.0 world. And I'm going to tell you, it's absolutely amazing what you're going to hear. We're getting a man on here who's developed a protocol that doesn't cost anything that really bridges the world of web two and web three using NFTs. And I really think it's going to open your eyes to possibilities for business that likely you might not have thought were possible. By the way, I'm at Stelzner on Instagram. And if you're new to this podcast, be sure to follow us because we've got some great content coming your way. Let's transition to this week's interview with Jillian Genis 2. Helping you to simplify your crypto journey. Here is this week's expert guide. Today, I'm very excited to be joined by Jillian Genis 2. And if you don't know who he is, he's the founder and CEO of Unlock Inc., an entity that helps creators monetize with NFT memberships. He also created the Unlock Protocol and the Unlock DAO. Welcome to the show. How are you doing today, Julian? I'm great. Thank you very much for having me, Michael. I would love to hear your story. How in the world did you get into Web3? I know it's a good story. So tell us, where did you start on, the, on your journey? And before I start about Web3, I'm actually going to start about Web0 because I think that's what Web3 is about, is actually going back to the roots, the ideals of the web that were lost, I think, on the way uh, as, we, as we've progressed. Let's go back 22 years ago. I was a high school student in my uh, parents' basement. No basement, we live in an apartment, but a computer room, hacking on the family computer, obviously, and basically writing little things. And at some point, I'm looking for a summer job. And everybody in France at the time, I think was the same in the US, was talking about how the internet had everything. And so I knew there must exist a job board for students. Couldn't find one. So what I did is decided I'm going to create one. And so that's how I created a Job Etudiant, which was really my first project uh, at scale on the web. And I created it as a, you know. What was it called, by the way? What did you say the name? Job Etudiant, which literally means job student in France. Oh, okay, cool. The fun joke is like .com was too commercial at the time. So I went to buy the .net. I eventually bought the .com for a lot more money a couple of years later. But that was kind of uh, the, the whole thing. But anyway, I created this not as a joke, but like as not a real thing. Like there was no company, there was no business. It was just a little student registering a domain name and paying for 10 euros, not even euros at the time, but some francs hosting on a month. And after a couple of months, McDonald's starting to put job offers on that website. And to me, that's when it clicked. That's, that's when I realized the internet is magic. Like I'm no one. I did not have to go to a bank account, open a bank account, uh, create a business or create a little random website. And all of a sudden, the largest company in the world, they were not, but you know, in a student's mind, felt like the largest company in the world, started to put job offers on my website. That was how I fell in love with the web. And so when you think about how I ended up with Web3, that's that started there back in the time. 
fast forward a couple of years, I'm in San Francisco because I knew already that I wanted to come create other tech companies in, in many ways, San Francisco and the Valley was already Mecca uh, in 2005, six. And so I, I moved to San Francisco and I worked for a French bank at the time as a, as a banker, but I knew I wanted to quit and I was using RSS feeds all day long. And you pretty know what RSS feeds are. Maybe some of, some of your audience also knows it's, it's literally the technology that powers all podcasts. So if you're listening to this, odds are you're actually using an RSS feed under the hood. At the time, and I think it's still why to use it, was an easy way to syndicate content from any kind of website. So news site, blogs, classified sites. Kind of the way to think of this is a core building block of the open web. In, in 2008, I use RSS a lot. And I think, you know what? RSS is actually a much better version of Twitter and Facebook. It's, it's the decentralized version of the social web. Instead of following someone, I follow a feed of them or a feed of a business or a feed of, you know, a piece of information that I care about. And so I'm creating Superfeeder with the expectation that it's going to be taking over Twitter and Facebook. Obviously, I was a bit naive. It didn't work that way. It became pretty quickly a profitable business. And well, I'll tell you the end of the story in a couple of minutes. But I realized actually pretty quickly that no matter what, RSS is always going to have, have a struggle because it's the fact that it's decentralized means that it's much harder to monetize. If we use the attention as the big monetization driver for the internet, and that's what we were using and still kind of using at this point, it is so much easier for you know Boeing, McDonald's, Apple to go to Facebook or Google and say, hey, here's a billion dollar, spend it for me on ads, rather than it is to go to a million small sites, small RSS feeds and say, hey, here's a thousand dollar for each of you, please send me some traffic. And so as long as attention is the core driver for business model on the web, the web is gonna get more and more centralized. And that's a lesson that I learned, I mean, 2010, 12, uh, or start to think about at the time. And th that was kind of the beginning of re the realization that for me, this web thing that we've built was kind of weak and weakened by its old business model. Eventually, Superfeeder, which was profitable, I sold it to uh, Medium, the publishing platform. Wow. And there was a, a beautiful story. Medium was actually one of our largest customers, both on syndication and aggregation of content. And I joined Medium, and I joined Medium a couple of months before they tried to do ads. And I think at this point, it's not a secret anymore, but they tried to do ads early on. And the, the CPMs that we were getting were abysmal. They were very, very low. And already Medium was still in the top 100 website in the US. So it's kind of like these ads thing that only work for the big ones actually don't even work for the big ones. They only work for the very, very big ones, like the top 0.1% or not even that, like you know, Google and Facebook pretty much. And so that made me even more convinced that there was a problem on that attention economy. Like everybody else is struggling. A small number of companies are actually taking the bulk of the revenue here and maybe even the bulk of the profits. Medium then tried to do something which I thought was a bit crazy. Um, again, remember teenager in the late 90s. Guess what I did with my internet connection? Obviously, download MP3s and, and movies uh, all day long. But Medium did this thing. was like, you know what? Uh, and Ev was very uh, convinced that it was the right move. We're going to charge for content. We're going to do like New York Times does with the paywall. At the time, New York Times had crossed the million member threshold. And so it felt like it was a, a possible way for Medium at the time. Uh, by the way, New York Times now, I think, is crossing 10 million. So if you think, and it was like 2017, 18. So it, it, it went fast from 1 million to 10 million, which is a pretty big, big number if you think about it. So Medium tries to do the membership and creates a paywall. And at first, there is nothing behind that paywall, like a few commission stories, but really not that much. And we get very quickly thousands, tens of thousands of subscribers. And so we were all a bit puzzled. And we emailed people say, hey, thanks for paying, but why? And the answer was consistently the same. It was like, oh, I care about the mission. I care about Medium's vision. I really want to be part of this group of early supporters. 
I want the green halo around my avatar. And so that made me realize like the membership is obviously transactional. People pay for things, but it's status. It's it's like think about airline miles, right? Like, it's like it's all of a sudden it elevates people to a special role in the community. And now things like Patreon start to make sense as well. I use the when I pay for you know a specific musician on Patreon five or ten dollar a month, I don't just listen to their music you know in loop every day, but I care enough about them as an individual, about their art, about their craft that I want to support them because it makes me feel like I'm one of these early believers in, in these artists. And so all of a sudden, all of these membership things start to make sense, and I start thinking that okay, Medium is doing this, Patreon has done that. What if there is a way for every single creator, from the you know, small podcaster like you are, Michael. You're not a small podcaster anymore, but um, small podcaster all the way to the large. You know, I can think of like a brand as a creator in some way, like a, as a creator of content, of community around their products. And so all the way from, again, small indie developers, photographs, musicians, book writers, journalists, media organization, all the way to Amazon. Amazon Prime is actually a membership. So what if there was a way to create a protocol for memberships, an easy way for all creators to do their own memberships on their own terms without having to rely on a third-party platform to host it for them? Does that make sense? Totally. And obviously, this is the transition into the world of crypto. So tell us the connection there. Exactly. So now when I got the idea of like building this protocol, at first I was like, well, maybe we need to build this as an API. And quickly realized like, no, this is not the right, the right approach. If we build this as an API, we're going to build yet another gatekeeper. We're going to build yet another person that's going to be in the middle and that's going to own the relationship between members and, and, and creators and, and brands. That's when I started to dive a bit deeper into the blockchain space because I already knew that blockchains were actually good at creating protocols, good at creating ways for software engineers to define how something works and have that code run. And we're talking here 2018, so still, don't, don't get me wrong, like I didn't create this last week. It's, it's something that has been kind of maturing in my head. And so it's like 2018, okay, let's create a protocol for membership and let's use Ethereum. That blockchain at the time was the most, still the most popular, I think, but was at the time the most popular smart contract chain. So the one that you could deploy these memberships as smart contracts that people would collectively own. Make sense? Yeah. So bring us up to the present. Like, what does it do now? I mean, like translate this because by the way, this is the part that I think most people that are listening and watching are going to get excited about because what you've done essentially, I think, is bridged web two and web three a little bit, which is kind of an important part of the conversation. So tell us what it is you built. Yeah. So basically we built that protocol. So and the way this works is actually pretty simple at a high level. Is like as a creator, you define the term as a membership. You say, I'm gonna charge one dollar every month at most a thousand people for them to become members of my community. And they're gonna be the one thousand true fans. Or I'm gonna charge twenty dollar every year, an unlimited number of people, and they're going to be my supporters. Or I'm going to charge $1,000 once for a lifetime membership. All of these things are up to the creator. I don't define this. We provide the smart contract that allows them to decide what are their terms. They can also define the cancellation terms. They allow people to cancel or allow people to transfer the membership. That's kind of uh, anecdotal. They also define, and in the EMT world, it's pretty important, the visual aspect of the membership. Like, how is the card going to look like? Is it going to be pink with a logo? Is it going to be platinum, dark, uh, like the very expensive credit cards? They decide. Once they define this, basically they deploy a smart contract, and it's theirs. I have no control over that contract. In the same way that when anyone deploys a website, Tim Berners-Lee has no control over that website, obviously, uh, even though he created the internet in some ways. They deploy their membership. It's theirs. I don't have any control over this. 
and it's it's completely there. There, then what they can do is take the smart contract and we call this implement, but like use it in another application to assess whether the user of the application is a member or not. And when they're a member, give them access to the premium benefits. And if they're not a member, prompt them to actually purchase the membership. And so, for example, we have a WordPress plugin, and I think that's one of the things that your committee uh, is probably going to recognize. A WordPress plugin that actually works like any other WordPress plugin you set up in your WordPress. And now you can say, you know what? These posts, these blocks even, so instead of a post, kind of go more granular, these blocks are going to be just for members. If you're not a member, you're not going to be able to see them. You're going to see a prompt that asks you to become a member. But if you are a member, you're going to be able to see that content specifically. We're going to get a little later into some examples of this. But what I love, and the reason why I wanted to get you on the show, is your protocol, the Unlock protocol, essentially, in my mind, unlocks business models, right? It enables people, creators, entrepreneurs, marketers, to essentially take something they're familiar with, like a membership site, and essentially power it with NFTs. And that's what I think is going to be one of the big potential things that are going to be happening in the year 2022 when we're recording this and into 2023. But before we go into like all the interesting things your customers are doing, let's address, there are some people listening right now that think, why do we need to reconsider our business models? Everything seems just fine today, right? <laughs> I mean, I know there's problems, but it works, right? So like, what do you want to say to people who are skeptical about these new Web3 business models and why why today we need to rethink some of these models? Yeah, I mean, you said it works. I'd say it works sometimes and doesn't work that well. First, obviously, we all are getting tired with this attention economy. Like, we're all being constantly bombarded with content um, that we're not sure we're actually being served or if we're being the customer or if we're being the product itself. Um, that is all a consequence of the business model. It's like, well, you're a local newspaper, you're making money with the ads that you get. If you can attract eyeballs on the website, you'll push some content that might not be perfectly true or not might not be well-researched enough because that's how you make money. And, and I don't blame newspapers here. I blame the system, basically, in that way. So that's one of the problems. Another problem is actually, as a user, you don't pay for this, but you do. Uh, half of the bandwidth on news site, for example, is actually spent downloading ad trackers and ads. That bandwidth you pay for in your monthly subscription. It actually consumes the battery of your phone as well. So it's something that you have to plug your phone more often. And it feels like your phone is getting slower. It's not, it's not getting slower. It's just the web is getting more and more bloated with all of these trackers and stuff. So you do pay for that. So you pay in the form of externalities. You pay in the form of actual things like bandwidth and stuff like this. Another thing that tells me that the business model is broken is the fact that more and more people use ad blockers. That shows that they're tired. At the same time, the trust in the content that you find online is at a at the lowest point. And it's because basically people are rightfully doubting everything that they're seeing at this point because it's like, oh, is this really true? Or are they just trying to sell me you know, some bullshit product here that I don't really want to buy? So that also tells me there's a problem. Another thing that actually tells me there's a problem is the fact that in practice, actually, ads are actually a very bad way of capturing value. I don't actually have the exact number anymore. But last time I looked, uh, the ARPU, the average revenue per user, that Facebook makes is about three times smaller than Netflix's for the same amount of time spent on their inside of their apps or on their website. So people spend about, about an hour a day in the US on Netflix and on Facebook when they use this. And basically, Facebook makes three times less money than Netflix. So it's kind of a pretty bad way of capturing value if you think about this. I mean, so we've seen 
many other examples in the Web3 space around X infinity, but I don't necessarily want to go uh, speaking about numbers. But like that's that's some improvement. Another thing that makes me think it's kind of not well kind of broken is the emergence of all of these you know regulation in Europe. We have GDPR that actually makes it really really hard in the in the California specifically there's CCPA, but even like there's kind of uh, arbitrary regulation like. Last week, Facebook stock crashed by 30%. Why did it crash by 30%? Because Apple has changed the rules on how third-party cookies work, basically. And so we really have a system here that is fragile, not working as well as it should. I mean, it, for me, the fact that a company, a pretty large company, the largest in the world, can crash another fairly large company in the top 10 just by changing its business model makes me think that there is definitely something that is unhealthy in that ecosystem. So that's why we need to change. I do think also that in practice, in the web, if you think about, or in the physical world, if you think about food, right? Right now, you buy food and you see the nutrition facts and you kind of have a good idea of what you feed your body with. Like, okay, I know how much fat, how much salt, how much sugar, all of the bad things that actually we tend to crave for, by the way. But in the information world, we don't pay for stuff, which means that we don't really know what we're actually feeding ourselves with. Because in practice, somebody else is paying for this. And so as a business, whoever is producing that content, at best has to serve two masters and at worst actually only serves one and you don't really know what they're feeding you with. I think changing the business model is going to change the dynamic and allow creators to actually make more money while users may actually even spend less themselves because they may spend more valuable things. So they would not have to pay for all of the externalities that we mentioned earlier. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. And if I think about even just the business models of membership sites today, you've got the credit card company, which has taken two and a half to three and a half percent. Then you've got the software typically that powers whatever the membership site is. And it usually has all sorts of expenses associated with licensing and stuff. And it's built on top of another layer, right? Which in this case might be WordPress. And then WordPress makes an update. And then you have to have technical people, right? And then you just start to think about all these interconnected things that are constantly breaking and not working, right? Right. And for me, the biggest cost here is actually something that we don't think about, but it's the friction. Is like when every website has its own little custom stack for the membership. It means that as a user, I have to sign up. I have to put my credit card number. I have to remember the password over and over again on every single website. And so it's friction for users. The conversion rate are pretty low. If you think about the New York Times, 10 million subscribers, as I said, I think it's less than 5% conversion. Rate. It's kind of pretty bad. <laughs> um, and one of the things that blew my mind is like when Apple introduced the App Store in 2008 or nine, I don't really remember, but like, before that, basically, the number of people paying for software, for any kind of software, was like in the single digit, not even that, like one or two percent people paying for shareware, as we call this in the 90s. After Apple introduced the App Store, now we're roughly at 50% of iOS users actually spend once a month on the App Store to purchase software. So really, by removing the friction, you explode the conversion rate. And that, that's kind of the thing that I'm trying to get to here. It's like, yes, some memberships do exist. And you mentioned in the WordPress world, there's several others. And by the way, I think they're actually doing a great job and, and it's they're already moving the, the ship forward. But I think if we had a protocol and that's what Unlock is building or has built actually, if we had standardized way of doing this, the conversion rate would go much higher, which means actually the prices would go down as well. Like the New York, I'm, I'm sure if two more of the New York Times could say, hey, you either have 5% conversion rate and you charge 10 bucks or 20% conversion rate and you charge you know, just five, I think they're gonna go for this because it actually brings them more money and it means that it's cheaper for everyone. So it's kind of a, for me, an obvious thing that even the current memberships are not as good as they could be. Well, the other side of it is obviously the concept of an NFT providing you unlocking membership, right? Like today, most membership sites are 
you pull out your credit card and you pay, you know, through a middle person like Stripe or something like that, right? Or PayPal or whatever, right? And then you get, once that transaction is kind of authorized and approved or whatever, then you, then you get access to things. But now we're talking about something different here when we're talking about NFTs and ownership. And what I'd love you to talk about a little bit is like, what does ownership and NFTs unlock? Because when I belong to a membership site right now with the traditional model, I don't own anything. I'm completely pretty much at the mercy of, of that entity. You know what I mean? To just, they could kick me out or whatever. Right. So, yeah. So that could still be the case, but like one thing for me that is already kind of unlocked by NFT is the fact that the membership is not stuck on a specific platform. So let's say I become a member of a WordPress site and I'm a member of that thing. That's great. The creator themselves could decide, you know what, tomorrow I'm going to start publishing some of my content on Medium or on Substack. Right now, they've lost all of their members because their members are stuck inside of the WordPress site. Ah, But with something like Unlock, now anywhere they go online, they can open their wallet, not to pay, but to show that they have the membership from, not the WordPress site, but from the specific creator. So I know I have the Michael Stelzner membership in my wallet. Anywhere I go online, I can show it in the same way that you can show your AAA card anywhere, right? Like you don't have to go through the AAA company to show your card. So here you could show up at a motel and say, hey, look, uh, can I get the the suite because I'm a Michael Stelzner member and you know you have special benefits for this. Maybe Michael all of a sudden organizes a conference again, hopefully, fingers crossed, and now I get a discount to the conference because I have my NFT of Michael's membership in my wallet. So I don't have to go through or be stuck in that WordPress site in that way. We need to dial in on this just a little bit because the idea that you... Anyone can purchase an NFT, hold it in their digital wallet, use their digital wallet to essentially sign something that allow access to their wallet to show that the NFT is in there, unlocks everything, right? And at the same time, I, as the owner of the NFT, could choose to sell it to someone else. And now all of a sudden they can unlock it. I don't have to go back to the membership entity and tell them anything. It's completely handled autonomously, right? But again, like, I mean, what I like about this model specifically, if it works the same as the physical membership, like I mentioned the AAA membership, uh, it's a card that you get in your wallet. You can show your card anyone. <laughs> AAA cannot take your card from you and you can show up at the local restaurant and say, you know what, I'm a AAA member, give me access to free dessert or whatever benefits I'm entitled to as a AAA member. So that really is the same model that I'm trying to promote here is like, as a user, I should be able to own in a sense of control, not in a, own in a sense of property. Because like, I mean, yes, I do own the NFT, it's mine. But more importantly, I control that NFT. I can show it anywhere I want on the web and beyond to prove to anyone that I'm actually a member of a specific community. So there's some people right now that are curious about how this works. So let's talk about WordPress because we're powered by WordPress. And I know so many entities that are probably listening are familiar with WordPress because it's an open standard, free tool that powers, I think, probably the biggest. Oh, it's 30%, I think. 30% of the internet, I think, at this point. Yeah, it's got to be the single largest open source tool for, for websites, period. So talk about, like, without getting too technical, exactly how it works, right? Let's talk about your tool and specifically WordPress and how it all works. Yeah, so remember what I said a couple of minutes ago? First step is to create your membership contract. And we provide a little dashboard for this. You could do it your own way if you wanted to. It's not something that we control or own in any way. So you would first create the membership. And then you would install a plugin, like many other plugins that you would install on your on your WordPress site. And that plugin, you'd say, you know what? Go look for that smart contract that I deployed. We call this a lock, that membership contract, to assess when someone is a member or not. 
And that's pretty much what the plugin does. Then you write your post like you would write normal posts as you did before. And every time you write a post, you can decide whether this is going to be public for everyone, for members of that level in the membership, for members of this level of membership. And you can actually even, the plugin is very flexible. You can do that at the block level. So you can almost have like a, you know, a high dev video or low dev video for uh, based on people's membership level. It's, it's really up to you as a, as a creator to do that. And then basically that's it. You hit publish and you publish your stories that you've done previously. What happens now is like your readers, when they show up on the site, they will first probably see the logged out version. The things like, hey, I don't know who you are, so I'm serving you the, you know, the, 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 the least amount of content in that way or the, the least customized version of the content. So you would collect your wallet. And that's, if you use Web3, that's something that you probably have done many, many times over. But basically, it's a matter of clicking your wallet. Say, yes, I allow Michael's website to see my address. Now Michael knows who you are. Identify, hey, this is Julian, cool. I'm going to check against the smart contract whether Julian does own an NFT or not. If he owns an NFT, great. Now I can assign to him kind of the rank of member or the benefits that I'm offering to members of his kind. And now basically maybe it's the full content. If Julian is not a member, then I will prompt Julian to go purchase a membership. It's very similar to how you, I mean, it's literally purchasing an NFT. It's similar to purchasing, it's a purchasing an NFT. Click a button, allow the transfer of currencies, but it's a paying if it's a paying NFT, you're charged $1, $5 based on what the terms were initially defined. And then you get the NFT and now you can see the full content. Okay, so some of the questions that are going through my mind, because you can set up contracts that are monthly or annual recurring, I would imagine there must be a timer on the NFT that says it's invalid after this date. Like explain that a little bit, yeah. Remember the AAA card? It has a member, an expiration date on it. It's the same idea. This NFT has on-chain, so it's not like off-chain metadata. It has on-chain a timestamp, which is a big number that defines a number of seconds when that's going to expire. So it's going to expire on March 1st, 2022. After that point, I can show my card to anyone. It's still in my wallet. But everybody's going to look at the date and say, hey, Julian, yeah, you got the card, but it's expired. You need to renew the membership, top it up if you want to, if you want to access the content. And that's, again, very much like the, I keep saying AAA, no ads here, but like any kind of membership that you can think of. Yeah. I love that. Okay, so, so once it's expired, it's just simply when you try to log back in, it's going to say you're going to need to renew. Is that it? Is that how it works? Is that, that's exactly how it works, yes. Do you need some sort of special bridge technology to be able to do the actual transactions? Does that make sense? No, it's, it's like a normal purchase. And the second purchase, actually, like the first one, you, you just top it up. Like you just you know repay and it extends the date. That's it. I see. Fascinating. You can buy, by the way, you can actually buy right now. It's funny because you can do a lot of interesting things. You can buy, instead of buying one month for go, I'm going to buy what, one month, one month, one month. So I'm going to buy three months. So if the price increases in the meantime, I'm safe until three months from now. So I, I can pre-buy if you want more months, like pre-package minutes, I think, you know, would be the energy here. Another interesting thing that is possible to do with the protocol that creators have to decide whether they allow or not is people can transfer time off of their membership. So let's say I've got a 30-day membership to Michael's content. My friend wants to listen to a podcast that you've done that is premium members only. I say, hey, Julian, can you spare 10 minutes? So I would transfer off of my 30 days, I would transfer maybe 10 minutes a day, whatever that is, off of my membership to them. So now I'm left with 29 days and they have a day so they can actually read that content and maybe purchase their own membership afterward if they want to. Now, what about mobile versus desktop? Because I've been about a year into my Web3 journey and you know everybody that's been around at least as long as me is probably familiar at this point with MetaMask. I don't know how it works on mobile because I'm generally not transacting on mobile, but do you have the same? It's the, it's the exact same flow. In practice, it's the same flow. There's actually a MetaMask mobile app. If you have the same 
private key and seed phrases and the two things, you don't even need to re-log in. Like, whenever you visit that website, it's going to see that you're the same address as on the desktop and gives you access to the content this way. We also support something called Wallet Connect that you might have seen, which is kind of this QR code scanning thing that allows you to, instead of transacting from the desktop, allows you to transact from the phone but allow you to authenticate on the desktop easily as well. Now, obviously, some of the things that some people are going to need to think through is like, if you choose to offer this, then there is going to be a learning cycle for your customers who do not understand how to buy Ethereum or Solana or whatever, Polygon or whatever the heck it is, right? So there's there's that, right? Yes and no. So yes, there's that because it's still powered by these things. But at the same time, we've built what we call the convenience layer. We've built a credit card gateway, basically, a way for people who show up on the Michael Stenzer website saying, hey, you need the NFTs. Like, I don't have an NFT. I don't have a wallet. How do I do this? Well, you know what? Create an account, email, password, like you would do with any other Web2 websites. Email, password, nothing magic. And then you're prompted to pay with your credit card. What happens here is like you pay Michael directly with your credit card, but then we see that payment because we're actually the one triggering it via the Stripe API to get into technical details. And we're able to issue that NFT because Michael has trusted us to issue NFTs when we charge cards. And so this time we issue the NFT and we attach it to your Web2 account. So you actually do have an NFT like everybody else, except that you don't have your own wallet. In practice, you do, but you don't know about it. And you're able to access these things. Got it, got it, got it. Now, you don't just work with WordPress. What else do you support? Unlock is basically, it's the other way around. Like It's like anyone who wants to support Unlock is welcome. That works already with Drupal. So if you know Drupal, it's another CMS in that space that works. People have built integration in React, which is a popular uh, front-end framework with Express.js. We've seen integration in Decentraland, the virtual space. So you can basically lock access to some resources. So maybe I've got my own private little mention on Decentraland and say, you know what? Only my members of my community can actually do this. It works in Shopify. The idea is like, if I've got a, a specific NFT in my wallet, I can access the Shopify store and get benefits that just members would have. So maybe access to a secret catalog or access to free shipping or discount codes or any of these things. Honestly, the goal of the protocol, right? It's to make it work anywhere in the same way that HTTP, HTML work anywhere. That should work anywhere. Somebody has built an integration in Unity, the gaming engine, which is very powerful. Now you can play games and unlock levels or unlock, you know, uh, cheats inside of a game by, you know, whoop, become a member of a specific community and you get access to some specific things inside of the game. And what does it cost to use the unlock protocol? The protocol is free by definition. Like it's the same way that HTTP or HTML, like nobody charges you for this because if they were to charge you, they would be in control of that. So the protocol is perfectly free. When there's a credit card transaction, we take a fee on top of the, of, on top of the transaction. One thing that we've built, which is going to get deeper in the crypto space. And so I think some of your audience might be kind of lost, but I'll try to explain uh, very easy. So you might have heard the concept of DAO which is basically a collective of people that uh, together manage something. Yeah, decentralized autonomous organizations. Absolutely right. And Unlock, I see Unlock as a public good. I see Unlock as something that is not something that I want to own, at least not myself, but I want to collectively own with all of its adopters, all of its users. Say, you know what, if you use an Unlock membership, you should be part of our community. And so that means that at the core of the protocol, there's actually... People don't need to know about this when they unlock content, but like there is a governance token. Every time there's a new transaction, new governance tokens are being minted and allocated, distributed to what we call the refer. Think of it as the creator who uses the, the protocol on their site. And now with these tokens, they can show up on the DAO and say, you know what, I want to make decision with my fellow governors, as we call them, the people that have unlocked tokens as well. And so maybe that's a way we can say, you know what, the protocol now needs to support, you mentioned Solana. We're actually inside of the EVM ecosystem. Maybe there's enough people saying, you know what, we want to support the Solana ecosystem, so we'll allocate some funds so someone is going to deploy or develop 
a version of Unlock inside of the Solana ecosystem. Maybe that's the thing was like, you know what, we want to support the fact that a membership can have two price because right now it has only one price and one currency. So you can decide like if you're on Ethereum or Polygon or Gnosis Chain, we're actually on five networks. So just to make it clear, we're... Yeah, let's mention those five. It's Ethereum. So Ethereum mainnet, but it's expensive. So unless the membership itself is very expensive, the gas price is going to make it very not practical. We're on Polygon, which is the second most popular at this point in our network. You probably know this. Uh, we're on Gnosis Chain, which was before uh, known as XDAI. We're on the Binance Chain, which actually got renamed as well today, BNB Chain. And we're also on Optimism, which is kind of a, a layer two. So all of the other ones are blockchain. Some of them side chains to Ethereum mainnet, uh, but we're also on Optimism. And our goal is to be in all of these uh, environments. One more thing. On each of these networks, you can price your memberships with either the native token of the network. So on Ethereum, it'd be Ether. On Polygon, it'd be Matic. Or any so-called ERC-20. So any of the other currencies that the network support. So for example, you can use USDC, which is a stable coin, on all of the networks that USDC on it is, and I think it's all, all of them. You can use DAI, you can use even some other DAO's governance tokens. So you can really combine things and mesh and mash them. You can use social tokens. You can say, you know what? I don't know if you've got your own social currency. I do have my own a toy more than anything else called the jewels. And I could create a membership and say, you know what? There's 10 jewels to actually access content on my blog. Fascinating. Absolutely fascinating. So, so the unlock DAO is what you were referring to earlier, which is people that use the unlock protocol are going to earn voting rights, for lack of better words, to participate in the DAO to help develop the protocols. Is that what you're saying? Exactly right. And that that's actually happening. Like right now, actually today close the vote, but we had uh, we have a system called retroactive funding, which is every month, Unlock Inc. will distribute a hundred of our tokens to the community in what we call retroactive funding. So basically we say, well, we distribute to whoever the committee thinks deserves them. And then all of the token holders can vote on who gets to receive these tokens. And I'm probably going to issue the distribution uh, pretty tomorrow at this point. I don't even know who won, but there was like five or six different candidates this time. Uh, and it's the third month we do this. And it's a great way to incentivize, you know, people to build things because they're going to be rewarded collectively by the rest of the community as contributors to, uh, to, to the DAO. I would love to talk about some examples just so people can wrap their head around this. You and I talked about a bakery and a couple of other examples. Tell me about ways that people are using this protocol to essentially do something that um, maybe everybody needs to, to hear. Yeah, so let's start with the bakery. Uh, Bakery.fyi, it's a, it's a website that you can go to. It's actually using WordPress under the hood. They write a lot of very valuable content about Ethereum, about the whole Ethereum space, a lot of the blockchain space. Some articles, they create kind of a paywall. So basically, it's called the chef's menu. And these are the, you know, the meatiest article where there's the most content where you can actually learn a ton of things. And they use Unlock for their membership. So that's one example. Another example of a blog that I think is fascinating, there's a virtual horse racing called Zed, very, very specific thing. And there is a website that basically aggregates all of the data about the virtual races and kind of makes prediction. And they created a, a website where you can unlock to get what are the prediction in terms of who's going to win the next virtual race. So that's another example. Today, it's called litafpodcast.com, if I'm correct. Okay. It's somebody launched a podcast where some episodes are members only. So basically, there, I think there's a first episode is free, second episode is free, third episode is like members only, and every week they're going to do something different. So that's another example. Back in the day, we launched a thing with Forbes.com, which was pretty big, actually, where you could unlock an ad-free experience on the Forbes website. So you connect to the Forbes website, you purchase their NFT, and it was either a week or a month. And if you had that NFT in your wallet, you would see no ads on their website for a week or a month. The perk was like no ads, basically. So I think it's a cool experiment. We have people using Unlock for conference tickets. The biggest conference, Ethereum conference in Europe, called ECC, 
and they're using Unlock for tickets. And what's really interesting here is like they can combine the online and offline experiences. So yes, it's the conference tickets, kind of you know regular QR code that you show at the gate to get in, but also that NFT that you have in your wallet allows you to access private discords, private Telegram rooms, or even hopefully some custom experiences that they're going to build for attendees online. Maybe vote on who's going to be you know keynote uh, and, and that kind of idea, which I think is fascinating. It really is a way to share ownership. We talk about ownership, share ownership of the conference with the committee of attendees. Tell me about this Tales of Ronin project. Another person has built a, a game. Uh, it's called Tales of Ronin. And it's basically, I, I'm not gaming myself, so I'm probably going to butcher this, but it's kind of a game where uh, as a player, you can you you have a little avatar and that's your membership basically. And then you can buy swords, shield, and all of these are different kinds of membership. And your avatar evolves based on all of the other membership that you have, which I think is a fascinating way to think about multiple memberships in the same way. So it's almost like if my crypto business membership would be slightly different because I also have the social media examiner membership and gives me access to some special perks. And what's interesting is like the NFT itself could be dynamically generated based on this. Like it has a little crypto business on the side or as like, hey, cool, this is a, a double member in that way. I find all this so fascinating. A couple episodes back, I had Joe Polizzi on the show and he has this show called CEX and he created a never ending ticket as an NFT and he only is selling like 20 of them. And I think I bought one of them, maybe a hundred of them. It was an Ethereum based ticket that will allow access to his conference as long as he has it. During that time, we were starting to talk about the creative uses of NFTs beyond just uh, digital art. You know what I mean? Behind just collectibles. And I find this absolutely fascinating. The idea that you can have an NFT, which really is just a smart contract with a token, right? You can have it creatively enable tickets to a conference, like you mentioned, uh, access to special content that the rest of the world doesn't ever get. I mean, like, I think this is the beginning of a big thing. I don't know. Somebody's using Unlock for a very special thing. I just thought about this, but it's the CDAA. So they're uh, basically financial analysts and they're using Unlock for their certification. So it's not a, it's not an NFT that you can buy. It's an NFT that you earn if you basically get your certification. So they have a, a online course if you want. At the end of the course, you can claim the NFT and that NFT is valid for a year. So if you want to keep showing that you're still you know, up to date on your skills as a CDAA, you'll be able to uh, renew your NFT basically and show it again after this. So that made me think because like when you say, oh, all of these cases for NFTs, the way to think about NFT, I think it's kind of weird, is like as relationships. And so any kind of like a relationship of a student and a university is an NFT. It's the diploma or the, the diploma is, is a way to think about this. Your car's license plate could be an NFT. It's not transferable. I, I don't know, maybe these license plates are transferable. I don't know if they are in the US, but uh, it's an NFT that would be linked to your car. And that's, a okay, we know that the car owns this. It's going to be a weird way to think about this, but uh, that's an NFT. Obviously, a deed on a property is an NFT or could be an NFT. How about access to an Airbnb for a limited period of time? Why couldn't that be an NFT? That should be an NFT in my mind. Like that's a, kind of a ticket that you redeem and then it's yours and maybe you can transfer, maybe you cannot transfer it. Or it's only good for a certain period of time. You it's know? only good for a week and then you show up at this thing, you get it for the week and then after this, you're done. Yeah, it's it's funny because like we call the protocol unlock and the smart contract is called a lock. And the NFT is called a key. So it's like it's actually a very good energy here. It's like you unlock the lock with a key. And that's literally what you described. So we're recording this in February of 2022. I want you to look into the future a couple of years. And I want to ask you, like, where do you see all this going? I mean, we're so early right now, obviously, but, but it seems like yet everything is happening so fast. Where do you see this going in the next few years? 
obviously, I'm, I'm deeply convinced that even outside of Unlock, like Web3 is going to become a much more prevalent uh, way of building technology. It's technology that is basically collectively owned by its users, by its developers. And we're going to move away from that model that we have right now where a few tech companies in Silicon Valley owns everything. Right. Uh, so that's the first step. Specifically on the membership thing, I think many, many businesses are going to move toward memberships. And you can think of, I, I said earlier, like Amazon Prime is a membership. And I didn't look at the latest Amazon financial numbers, but like, Oftentimes, I've seen that the Amazon profits were actually the sales of the Amazon Prime membership. So Amazon as a business is just about the membership. Don't tell anyone, but I think it feels like it's, it's just this. Car rental companies uh, very famously are only making money on the fact that they have the loyalty cards and airline is the same. But I do think that your local coffee shop might actually also have a membership. It's like your local people in the neighborhood pay 10 cents, 20 cents less for the coffee because they support the local business. And I think that's actually a very valuable membership in many ways. Your local musician, podcaster, will have their own membership and maybe they give you access to some benefits. What's interesting also is like it's a marketing tool. You can say, hey, members of the Michael Stanzler membership can go to some WordPress hosting provider and get 10% off because they have the NFT in their wallet. And so now I show up at the WordPress hosting, I connect my wallet, they know I'm a Michael Stanzler subscriber, poof, they give me 10% off because they love you guys. Uh, that's, I don't think it's 10 years. I think it's like in two years, three years, many, many businesses are going to move toward these memberships. And obviously, NFTs and specifically Unlock are making these things much easier to do and much more scalable. So I'm deeply convinced that the web is seeing probably what it's, I mean, obviously, Web 2 was a massive change, but like it's massive revolution, massive transformation. And again, not into wild things, back to its roots. If you think about the initial ideas behind the web, if you read the kind of very early on kind of uh, commentaries that were made, it was all about kind of this permissionless network that connect people together. Never it was mentioned that there's going to be some massive company in the middle that is going to intermediate everything. I fully agree. I mean, like, you know, when we think about the early days of the web, it was just this big mesh of computers that allowed you to connect from anywhere. And now all of a sudden it's like this big, actually the smallest of huge entities, right? Google, Amazon, Facebook, right? That control the world. Julian, first of all, this has been really eye-opening. If people want to discover your protocol or they want to discover you, in particular, maybe on the socials or whatever, where do you want to send everybody? Yeah, let's start with the protocol because that's what it's all about. Unlock-protocol.com. as you pronounce it. If you forget the dash, it should actually also redirect, but do put the dash. It's going to make things better. We're on the social, Twitter, et cetera. I mean, just unlock protocol in Google. You're going to find it. And myself, I usually go by Julian51, J-U-L-I-E-N-5-1 on pretty much all of the socials and uh, feel free to send me a message. I, I love hearing from you guys anyway. Why don't you tell everybody how to pronounce your last name because it's French and I mess it up all the time, but go ahead and say it. It's hard. It's uh, Je n'ai uh, And you know, I did a little research. I, my third daughter was born in the US and I think she's the very first person named Je n'ai in the US. And that makes me a bit- Oh, really? Wow. Yeah, yeah. Well, hey, thank you so much for coming on. I really, really appreciate all the wisdom and insights that you've shared with us. I'm sure a lot of people are gonna be checking out you uh, and your protocol after this. So thank you so much. Thanks for having me. It was a blast. And I, I look forward to uh, having more conversation like this. Hey, if you missed anything, we took all the notes for you over at socialmediaexaminer.com slash C11, letter C, number 11. If you're new to the show, be sure to follow us. And also, please let your friends know about this show. I'm at Stelzner on Instagram. This brings us to the end of yet another episode of the Crypto Business Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Stelzner. I'll be back with you next week. I hope you make the best out of your day. MA Web 3.0 continue to change your world in a good way. See you soon. The information provided in the Crypto Business Podcast is provided solely for educational purposes. Do not treat what you hear as investment, trading, 
or financial advice. Do your own research. The Crypto Business Podcast is a production of Social Media Examiner. Want more good stuff? Sign up for our top-notch social marketing newsletter. We deliver it straight into your inbox three days a week. Visit socialmediaexaminer.com slash get updates.